Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Tom Black, Keith Jones with you. KJ, three and a half days away, three days away. We're there. I Almost. tell you, Tommy, I tell you, and, and up until about noontime yesterday, you know, I was getting excited, getting excited, getting excited, and not to start off on a negative note, but as been the case, dang near every week when we've done this show, about the time you get so excited about football, the news comes out about Coach Sue and the illness that her mother is going through, and she's going to take a year off in order to attend to family things, which I hate, but I applaud just as I shout hallelujah as high as I can because it absolutely demonstrates the character of one Sue Simmerow. And I'm, I'm happy for Brooke stepping in, and for those of you who haven't heard, uh, Coach Sue's mom is battling cancer. She's going to take the season off in order to administer and, and help with her family. Coach Wyckoff will be uh, the interim coach or uh, head coach in time frame or whatever. And uh, Coach Sue is scheduled to be back with us at the conclusion of the season. But I applaud her decision, and I I wish them well. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But it's a wonderful testimony uh, to the character of one Coach Sue Semerow, in my opinion. I can't add anything to that except, uh, you know, that we're thinking about you, Coach Sue, and wish Brooke well. But you're right to your initial point. Boy, that's the way the last six months has gone. Every time you see been? a glimmer of hope, you feel like a door slams in your face. But we're not going to go that – we're not going down that road, Keith. No, we're not. We're done. I've got a depth chart in my hands. I mean, we've been waiting for one of those. We'll get. We'll a go depth, over that with Bob A Ferrante. depth chart or what? Yeah, Coach Orr, right? So, <laughs> somebody – hey, I will say this, though. Uh, I think Mike Norvell has been – and I know that we were here with Willie Taggart his first offseason, that he won the offseason. It's not to say that there weren't some hiccups along the way, but I don't think you – you certainly can't look at what Coach Norvell has done so far and suggest that he doesn't have a plan and isn't organized and doesn't make sure that every hour and every minute of the day is accounted for because he definitely checks all those boxes. Um, you mentioned that Coach Taggart you know, won the first offseason, and, and he would be the first to tell you. 
that he didn't have to battle an off-season with a pandemic, with social unrest, and quarantines, and face guards, and all the other stuff that uh, Coach Norvell and his staff has had to uh, tolerate. Is that the right word? To field, to, to wade through, muddle through, excel through maybe. It's, it's been unlike anything that we've witnessed. Amen. For everybody, whatever your profession, whatever your family situation, school situation, it's, it's been a tough several months. And, but I, I think he's done it as well as you can. Now, the proof is in the pudding, and that would be the case whether he had a good offseason or a bad offseason. Coaches know they're judged by wins or losses. You can't win a national championship on Saturday, but it would go a long way if you play well and you win the first football game of the Mike Norvell era against Georgia Tech. Uh, and I would tell you that the first thing that folk are going to look for are the fundamental things, which Coach Norvell stresses, getting the play calls in, getting lined up, being in the right alignment, no busted assignments. You know, the, the things that we all were so frustrated with over the last couple of year period. And I believe that will be one area that they will excel at. Now, does that mean they beat Georgia Tech? I think they will, but that's no guarantee. Does that mean they'll do better against Miami? I don't know. Uh, will they get six or eight games underneath their belt? Will they go toe-to-toe with Clemson? Probably not. But I know the 20,000 plus or minus that are going to be there are number one diehard fans. And the biggest thing they're, 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 they're wanting to see is improvement. Improvement. And, um, and I think they will. In fact, I'm confident that they will. Here's the question I want answered. Obviously, you know, ultimately it's kind of like a – uh, you know, is it the process or is it the result, you know, to go back a couple coaches, right? Um, can we see a product that's better than the sum of the parts? Because we, we've talked about this, but it's been a while since we've seen that. You know, here's your parts and we put them together and guess what? The product is less than what that sum is. So now we got all these parts and there's a lot of pretty good parts still. Well, it's okay to coach them up and be better as a group than what the, you know, the, your individual talent would suggest. There's at least a thought process that the move from the 3-4 back to the 4-3 fits the majority of the players. Uh, The ability to play with five or six defensive backs because you're very, very loaded and very deep at that segment. Uh, The ability to take your playmakers on offense and find ways to to accentuate their skills uh, you got a, a, an offensive line coach, and I don't know about you, I've not spent any time with Coach Atkins. I've only, as we all have, listened to interviews, listened to the players talk about him. But he said one thing earlier this week that I had not processed through, Tommy. And again, these are words. You've got to see them translate onto the field. But it, they were asking him about the athleticism of offensive linemen. He says, you know, athleticism – is, is not whether they can run under a five-flat 40. And athleticism is not how quick their feet is. It isn't hand placement. Athleticism isn't using the proper leverage. Athleticism is do you have the physical skill to correct when you make a mistake? Because you're going to take a wrong step. You're going to put your hands in the wrong place. You're going to take a wrong angle. Do you have enough athleticism to correct that and still make the block? I had never processed athleticism to that degree, but it also goes back, take my segment group. We talked about kids being in the right place. 
Well, you can be in the right place, but if you don't make a play on the ball, you haven't completed the assignment. And we've seen that, unfortunately, with the defensive backs over the last couple of years. So, yeah, a lot of talk, a lot of potential, but potential doesn't win ball games. but you got to like what you're hearing. I'm just excited that we're at this point. I'm looking forward to what we see. I do, I do think we're going to see a more polished, disciplined team. Still has some holes. The offensive line, and we'll talk about it next segment, I like the way they move some pieces around. Uh, if you could choose any five offensive linemen in the country, probably not going to choose these five. But Mike Norvell would never say that. And, and who knows, th- this group, I, I mean, there's been nowhere to go but up for the offensive line. I do have confidence this coaching staff will better coach and call the game according to what their players can and can't do, uh, scheme them up, so to speak. And I'm just looking forward to, to, to seeing that on the field, seeing how it translates. You know, one of the things that we talk about in today's environment, and, of course, Jimbo uh, on the offensive side with his staff and, and going all the way back to Mickey Andrews on the defensive side with his staff is in-game and halftime adjustments. And for whatever reason, over the last couple of years, the Taggart staff either collectively or individually, weren't able, in my opinion, to do that. I think this staff will be much, much more adept at, you know, all right, we started out doing it, but they're doing something different, so therefore we've got to change it both in-game and at halftime. And again, that's talk, but I think that will also translate. So if, if that's not the right five, it won't take but a series or two or three for them to figure out on the offensive front that we got to try somebody else a little different or try something a little different. Um, and as they say, the, the, the way to drive yourself crazy is to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. To that point, James Blackman gets a chance to be the starting quarterback for FSU. This is really his fourth – I guess you can't say it's his fourth offensive system, but it's his fourth offensive coordinator because he's, he's gone from Jimbo to Walt Bell to Kendall – uh, to now Dillingham and, and Mike Norvell. So uh, that's a lot in his four years. But I'm interested to see what growth there's been for James and how he manages his emotions and just what it looks like in a Norvell system. One of the things we talk about sometimes with, with athletics, Tommy, is that the light comes on. You can have a kid that's been here one, two, or three years, keeps making the same mistakes, doesn't seem to take coaching well, and then all of a sudden the light comes on and everything about his or her play changes. That's what I'm hoping for with James. He's got three years under his belt. I'm hoping with, with uh, Dillingham in his ear, with Norvell on the oversight, uh, and the fact that James' biggest improvement needed to occur above the, above the shoulders, as we talk about, channeling and controlling his emotions. If he can overcome that hurdle, then the footwork, the turning the shoulders, the making the right read, the making the decision to get rid of the ball, the making the decision to pull it down and run with it, all those will fall into place if, in fact, that light bulb is illuminated. We'll see. We are just getting started. It is a game week edition of Front Row Knowles. Our Osceola insider, Bob Fronte, is joining us next segment. We'll also hear from Jason Dennard from the Athletics Department Associate AD about the game day experience this week and things you'll want to pay attention to if you're one of the season ticket holders uh, or if you've got a three-game pack and you're going to be in attendance this week. So that's all straight ahead. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles.
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. Let's dive right into this as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Joined by our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. And Bob, we had a lot of conversations this summer. We weren't sure we were going to get to this point, but here we are. It's actually a game week. Even Mike Norvell, when he opened up his Monday press conference, had a big smile and said, hey, it's finally game week. And I think that's how we've all felt. I think it's finally starting to hit the guys, you know, the players, the coaches, you know, even Odell Hagens was talking about it a little bit today. You know, he's run out of that tunnel as a player since the mid-80s, as a coach since 1994. It, it's always a special feeling to him. But even through this offseason, not knowing if, if Florida State was going to be able to play football, if the ACC was going to be able to play football, I think it means something special to him too. So these guys are starting to really feel like, yeah, it's just, it's just days away from, from being able to play Georgia Tech. Let's jump right in. Uh, obviously, the first thing fans want to see and the first thing you media types, us media types, want to see is that depth chart. I wish I had patented, trademark the two-letter word or. I could charge FSU a lot of money. Is that a ploy when they say this person or that person, or are they truly going to play that many folks? I think in an ideal world, Mike Norvell wants to play as many guys as he can. And, of course, you have to adjust within the flow of the game, how guys are performing. You have a long drive where it strains the defense, for example, and you got to sub in some guys or do you have some, some quicker drives and things play differently. I think it speaks to close competitions, probably also not just not knowing how maybe some of those younger guys are going to perform in a game-type situation. We're going to see a lot of true freshmen and redshirt freshmen on that depth chart going to be their first real time out there on a Saturday. That's going to be a big question mark too. Um, I, I think the staff has a good feel, especially maybe on special teams. You know, Coach Norvell was asked about that again today. You haven't announced a kicker, a punter, your kick returners, your punt returners. He's keeping that one really close to the vest. And I think that does speak to the talent that you have in all those positions. They're going to kind of mix and match and just see who performs well under pressure. And I think part of the psychology is you don't want somebody to relax and somebody else to kind of check out if they found out on Monday of this week, like a kicker, that you're not the guy. So you put in a good week of practice. But it is curious because every every special team's position that they list on a depth chart is listed as or, including the long snapper and the, and the holder. So, I mean, it, it is all up in the air right now. The two, two, I think the two most interesting things on the depth chart, the first one on defense – we got confirmation on Monday that Hamza Nasraldine is not on the two deep and is not going to play this week. Now, Norvell said that he expects him back soon. So, to me, I interpreted that as, you know, we've got an off week after this, so why roll him out there this week? Let's give him two more weeks of rest. But, but more than that, Renardo Green is a name we haven't heard talked about a lot. And lo and behold, he's on the top of that. Well, I guess it says or Travis J. But uh, that, that was one of the more interesting things that jumped out to me. I don't know if you agree with that. Exactly. Renardo's a guy that, you know, quite frankly, I'm very curious to see how he, he fits in because he just wasn't a name that came up all that much in preseason camp. But, but the coaches have really raved about his consistency and what he's done and, and kind of the steps that they've seen from when they arrived in December and January to where he is now. 
it, it's kind of it kind of feels weird to say that you know without Hampson Nasruddin, the leading tackler from a year ago, a guy who had a hundred stops, that you're just not as worried about you know safety. You, you feel like you have uh, you know, confidence in a guy like Bernardo and a guy like Travis J. They've got a lot of experience in that group. It's just kind of you know who do you want to throw out there first because. I do think a lot of these guys are going to play. I'll be very curious to see on Saturday, by the end of the end of the day, look at that participation report. How many guys did they get out there in all positions, but especially defensive back? I mean, we're going to see, I think, large numbers of guys who were out there and had a chance to show what they can do. And I think you're going to see, and I agree with you, I think you're also going to see that Florida State's going to play a lot of five defensive backs and occasionally six defensive backs so really, you're going to see both uh, Ronaldo and, Tra- and and Jay on the field at the same time, even though they might be listed as one and two or or on the depth chart. Yeah, and I'm I'm very curious about Nickel. I think historically for State, this is going back a few years. I think they played about sixty to sixty five percent Nickel. You know, maybe Keith, you can speak to that more. Um, Coach Fuller has also mentioned that at times. He likes a, a nickel who is a corner. You know, could that be a Miko Dotson? Sometimes he likes a nickel who's more safety, a little bit bigger. So he's kind of looking at times for, you know, multiple options to throw out there. And, of course, he doesn't want to give away anything by playing maybe a, a more of a cover guy versus maybe more of a safety who's better of a run stopper. But, yeah, there, we're going to see a lot of nickel out there. So I think that's going to help accentuate just the amount of depth that they have out there. Bob, just to hammer home this point on the safeties, I put another way, when you look at Cyrus Fagan and Raymond Woody the third, and they're the third teamers, and I'm thinking both those guys played a lot of snaps last year. That really speaks to, to what they think they have. I mean, not that those were necessarily guys who were going to win the Thorpe Award, but they were decent players who've played a lot, and that's where they are on the depth chart right now. Yeah, and we could still see a little bit of them too. I, I think, I think the coaches feel, in, in a certain sense, like they have to put out a depth chart, but they still feel confidence in almost everybody that's on there. I, I've enjoyed watching Raymond Woody through the year, last year. I think he's got a lot of talent. He's got some upside. You know, Fagan's a guy who's had kind of a quiet camp. Just haven't heard as much about what he might be able to offer and how he fits in. But yeah, to see to see a senior, you know, third in the depth chart, it, it does speak to an overwhelming amount of young talent that's come in, as well as some newcomers. You know, again, guys like Miko and Jerry and Jones um, at other positions like corner. But when you have transfers and you have this influx of talent, yeah, it, it's tough. It, it raises that competition level to the point where you're you're fighting for every bit of playing time. And it also speaks to be the half empty guy that Florida State last year were playing some people that normally wouldn't play at Florida State just because of the way the program was. Uh, I hate to be so critical, but that is a statement of fact as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm choosing to turn a, a new leaf and, and, and look forward. I think, I think the secondary was really a source of frustration last year. I, I know Keith, we used to kind of talk at halftime at times in the press box and we would both sort of shake our heads about what was going on and how much of that was scheme, how much of it was you're not getting very much pressure out of a 3-4, you've got injuries up front, how much of it is you know guys in the secondary aren't able to keep up, how much of it is miscommunication. There are so many pieces that 
we'll we'll never know looking back just just how how bad it all was. But I think this defense looking forward could really take a huge step forward. I think it, it has all the makings. If you have a pass rush, if you have great interior linemen, the linebackers, we feel like this is a really, really good group. It's a positive after years of not feeling like it's, it's that way. This feels like it has the makings of a top 25 defense, you know, one that's going to help them be in position to win games. And, and it really should, help them win a lot of games on Saturdays. Now, Tommy, we're in political season, and we've just heard over that last 45-second comment why Bob can get elected to office and I can't even run. (laughs) Well, and I was going to add one more to what Bob said in terms of that list of declaimers. How much of it was buy-in, i.e., if you don't believe in how you're being coached or what the system is, you know, 60%, 70% is not getting it done. And and to that point – I thought maybe the quote from Mike Norvell, and I don't have it in front of me, that has resonated the most, certainly with the fan base since he's gotten here. And he said it just this week, and I'm paraphrasing, but the premise was this isn't a charity organization. We're not out here to keep guys in starting positions if they're not earning it. This, you know, so it goes back to the depth chart and the or. I mean, you will be evaluated every day. And come Saturday, we'll see if you've earned the right to, again, be the first guy out there. And Keith is smiling because that's the way it should be. There are no participation trophies at this level. That's not how he said it, but that's how the fan base interpreted it. (laughs) Yeah, I had to chuckle a couple weeks back. I think one of the offensive linemen, it might have been, you know, Andrew Baselli or Brady Scott, but they were basically describing Alex Atkins. And, you know, one of them said, he's not out to be my friend. He's a teacher. He's going to push us hard, you know, and, and Brady Scott was just saying, it's, it's tough to even get a, a good job out of Alex Atkins. He's just pushing so hard. And I think those guys have, have as coaches, these are great teachers, but they are not out to be friends are not out to be, to make this fun. It's, it's all work. It's all mindset and attitude. And I, I do think the players enjoy and want to be pushed hard because they know after last season, that's not, again, that's not who they are. They want to show that they're much better than that product that they showed last year. So the other area that I referenced at the top of the interview that jumped out on the depth chart is on the OL where, and I think at the Osceola, you guys had a hint that this was coming, but baby on Johnson, not even in the mix at center and instead is going to be the starting right guard. And then you get Maurice Smith, who's a redshirt freshman who moves in and he's got athleticism and a, I think the thought is they're upside and he fits what they're trying to do offensively better. But all of a sudden when people looked at this first five and saw some parts had changed around, I feel like people got more optimistic about maybe what this offensive line can do. The pieces really make sense when you look at it. There's a lot of logic there. You've got Darius Washington and Dante Lucas on the left side, two potential all ACC types, you know, for future years. I know Pat Burnham has been really big on Maurice Smith. He, he liked what he saw out of him last year in the limited you know games that he was out there. Um, so Maurice is the center. We had felt kind of all along Baby and Johnson just was struggling with his snaps, and then it was maybe affecting how he was going to block. And, and just he didn't feel like center was his natural spot, whereas it was in high school. It just wasn't working out in college. We kind of felt like if he didn't, if he wasn't showing that progress at center, he'd be a good guard. And, of course, he's fits in at the right side. And then, like you mentioned with Devontae Love-Taylor, he's got that experience, I think, about 16 starts at FIU. So when you look at all five, again, the big questions become, can they stay healthy? 
Do they communicate? Is it, is it not the situation where four guys are doing the right thing and one is messing up? If you get those kind of five guys on the same page, plus the contributions from your tight end, your running back who might be chipping, then you've, you've got a semblance of a very productive line as far as pass protection, run blocking, and then you've got a very efficient offense. You're able to move the ball down the field. And that was just the, the big thing with Florida State last year. Couldn't get started. The penalties and the miscommunication, things weren't working out well. And I think the frustration built within games for a lot of those guys, but with an extra year of, of experience, I think maybe they can settle in and we will see that step forward that we've, we've kind of been looking for for the last few years. I had an opportunity with Mike Norvell's Inside Seminole Football Show earlier this week. James Blackman was a guest, and I asked him who has emerged as the biggest leader on offense. And his answer was not what I expected. And he did throw a couple names in, so I, I don't know that I asked him to pin it down to one guy. But the first name he mentioned was Cameron McDonald. And at the tight end position, uh, we've all thought that that's a little thin since somebody went down. But I guess I don't know about enough about Cameron McDonald. Have you seen or heard that he's perceived that way as a leader of the offense? Yeah, I, I like listening to Cam. He's really well-spoken and thoughtful. Um, I, I, on the field, I see him doing, and this is looking back at past years, of course, because we didn't get a good look in the preseason at all. He runs like a receiver. So I applaud the way he can run. And at 238, he's definitely a bigger receiver. He's truly a tight end. He seems like the type of guy who can line up in multiple spots, lining up off tackle. And he line up and flexed out in the slot, for example. I I think he's kind of that guy we're looking at year three in the program. You're, You're comfortable in playing college football. You've had coaching change. You've had different assistant coaching um, changes, but you know what you're supposed to do. You know, the work ethic, the responsibilities. And I do think he's kind of seen that opportunity to, to speak up, to tell guys what to do. He's got a very young position group, guys like Wyatt Rector, who's just learning a new position. And we've heard about some walk-ons, Preston Daniel being one, um, a, a guy who, is kind of a surprise to be a walk-on on the depth chart there. So I think a guy like Cam knows that he's got to step up and be a leader, not just in that position room, but also to the larger offense. He also knows, guys, that he's got some vertical threats on the outside. So when he gets past that linebacker or in between those linebackers, he's not going to have a face mask in the back of his jersey. He's going to be able to turn around and move up field very quickly, and I assure you, he is excited about that. Yeah, if if James Blackman gets a little bit of time to throw, just a little bit, and Florida State's going to run out there, Tamari and Terry, Warren Thompson, two guys who can stretch, taller, deep guys, as well as Keyshawn Helton, and we know how slippery and difficult he is to cover. And then you're going to forget about Cam McDonald, maybe if you're a defense, because you're just not sure what he can do. If defenses forget about him, and that's that's what happens because tight ends can be a great mismatch, he's going to get open. He's going to get some catches. And I think we, we've waited, I think, for a tight end to break out since Nick O'Leary. We've been kind of curious which one it will be, what's that skill set that you're looking for. And Cam McDonald kind of has that skill set, that capability 
to do it as a receiver. And I think now that he's lined up as a blocker and shown that he can handle it, they're going to have the confidence to put him out there and, and see what he can do. You just mentioned a name that would have been the third thing that jumped out to me on the depth chart, and that is Warren Thompson as a starting receiver opposite Tamari and Terry. We're only, what, three, four weeks removed from wondering if Warren Thompson was going to stay on the football team. So obviously it wasn't just lip service when that got patched up, and he must have responded pretty well since that, that little incident when he posted on social media to earn the trust of the coaching staff to find himself in the starting lineup. That was one of the biggest surprises to me was to see Warren in the starting spot. We had heard really good things about Jordan Young and Jordan's list as the backup to Warren. So I think we'll see both in the end. I I didn't know how this was going to play out with Warren. It, it felt like he was spiraling downhill a few weeks ago. And like you said, all of a sudden he came out and apologized. It was clear. I think in his words, he came to an agreement with coach Norvell. I think that word is an interesting choice. It's maybe not, Hey, I totally understand where you're coming from, but we can respect each other's positions. We've come to an agreement. And I think Warren has shown it in flashes on the practice field. We've seen him make some great catches. The key with this group to me, and I go all the way back, Jimbo has been talking about this 10 years ago, the consistency of those receivers. You can't drop passes. You have to be somebody that you can count on when you're going out and running routes. You have to be in that spot because that quarterback's going to throw to a spot. He's got to know that you're going to be there and you're going to catch it. And I'll be very curious to see how Warren performs. I really want to see Jordan Young, too. Um, A lot of questions at receiver, even with a guy like DJ Matthews out. We don't know what DJ Matthews' role in this team is moving forward. He's he's on the roster, but how much has he practiced, if any? So there are some really big questions at receiver, but definitely looking forward to seeing what this group will show. He is Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. Final thought, anything else you'd like to add, Bob, as we get set to kick things off? You know, can I, can I take a brief moment to, to discuss Sue Semrau? I, I, I don't know how much you guys may have talked about in your earlier segment. No, go ahead and, and do share, yeah. Yeah, I just was, was really emotional to see her decision, but I think it's a selfless decision, one where, you know, she's always kind of looked out for her players and her program more than her and for somebody to step out and take a step back for her family when she's at the top of her game and one of the top 10, 20 women's basketball coaches, it it just speaks volumes about her and and she's putting her family first at a really important time. And I I think that's just a, maybe an important reminder to all of us. And it says a lot to, um, to her players, you know, and, and happy for Brooke Wyckoff for one year, she gets to be the coach, but, but really, a selfless decision by coach Semrau. And I, I just, um, it, it was a tough thing to, to read that statement, but totally understand what she's doing and why she's doing it. And, um, and just thankful for all the, the great years she's, she's given the basketball fans in this community. That's well said, Bob. And, and yeah, we, we should be talking about her doing that. I know you commented that, you know, you remember when she was hired, I was on the air at channel 27 when she was, hired in that in that time frame and uh and Brooke Wyckoff was a freshman I guess or one of her first recruits that that ultimately got FSU to the NCAA tournament later in her career so yeah we wish her the best and uh Bob we appreciate your insight we will see you uh this weekend at uh, at the stadium looking forward to it take care guys our Osceola insider Bob Ferrante go online to the Osceola.com you can subscribe monthly or by the year get great insight and follow the Knowles all season long back with more matter of fact 
Back with more about the game day experience at Doe Campbell Stadium as Jason Dennard from Athletics Marketing and the Athletics Department joins us next on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones back with you. We'll continue our conversations as Florida State gets set for its home opener this week. We'll go back to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, open that up. Once again, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to a good friend of the program and an associate AD at Florida State University. Jason Dennard is with us right now. And, J.D., you've been uh, in charge of sort of uh, a, a lot of elements that involve the game day experience for a number of years in your role with, with marketing and just the way the uh, – really the way the whole game is scripted, if that's the way to put it. And this has to be unlike anything you could have ever imagined or planned for because much like us just doing a simple radio show – Things change about every five minutes, but the good news is we've got a kickoff scheduled at 3.30 Saturday, and I know you're excited about that. You know, guys, I'll tell you, there were times over the summer I didn't think this day was going to get here, and, you know, we've we've weathered a big storm, and um, I couldn't be more excited to put the ball on the tee and, and play football in Tallahassee. I know we won't see a full crowd this weekend, but I think up to 25% capacity. Just give us an idea. Some tough decisions had to be made there, but what will that look like? How is that being managed in terms of who's sitting where and, 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 and who got access? You know, one of the biggest things for us is making sure we're providing a safe place for people to come. You know, this may be one of the first times people come out of their homes to go to a, an event. So we felt like it was important to make sure that people felt safe. So 25, around 25% is where we felt was the maximum that we could do this in a, in a safe way and spread people out. So, you know, we, we looked at a, a, probably a hundred different ways of how to skin this, this apple. And what we landed on is that we wanted to give our donors and season ticket holders the best opportunity to come in here and see us play so we decided not to do season tickets. We decided to, to do our, our schedule on a three-game plan and give everybody the chance to see something. I mean, you know, our, our, our crowd size will be somewhere a little short of 20,000. So, you know, people are used to seeing a bigger, bigger crowd. We were talking about this earlier, but maybe one of the smallest crowds to see a home game at Doe Campbell Stadium back to – Keith, I think you said probably back into the 70s, early 70s. So it's kind of unprecedented. But, you know, our, our goal is these these 20,000 people that are going to be coming in are going to be loud and they're going to represent uh, the Seminoles and, and help cheer us on the victory. J.D., you hate to couch things um, this way, but it's either this way or no way. Sure. And I watched the game Labor Day night – um, BYU and Navy, and there was nobody in the stands on a Labor Day night. Remember, Florida State and Miami were going to kick off that entire thing way back in the Bowden era. And it's either do it this way, I hate to be blunt, but it's do it this way or don't do it at all. And as a result, I think we need to embrace that, that glass being at least half full. Half full. 
Yeah, you know, um, we're very fortunate that we were, we've landed at about 25%. There's a lot of institutions in the conference and in the SEC that on opening day, they'll be teeing it up with no fans. And, you know, we, we're lucky to be where we are. Um, and it's a lot of that is due to the diligence of a lot of people in Tallahassee and, and doing the best they can to, to keep this virus at bay. Um, and, you know, we do have some rules in place for this season that we will reevaluate as the season goes. You know, I know it's important to people to tailgate, but, you know, we felt like it was important that, that we, we not allow that for the Georgia Tech game just because we need to make sure that we are getting out of the gate strong and, and providing a safe place for people to come. And, you know, in addition to that, you know, we also have announced that we will require masks to be worn um, here at the stadium. And, again, I know that's not all an important – that's not something that everybody really gets behind. But, you know, for us – Again, this is a privilege that we are able to be here and play, number one. And secondly, it's a privilege that we're able to have fans. So for us to get there and to continue to get through this season, we need to do these things until there are better days ahead. And these things aren't permanent. These are just things that we need to do now to to advance this program and this community. A couple of questions related to uh, more of the mechanics. So my understanding is, uh, donors, season ticket holders, they'll have chair back seats that are spaced out. So it's pretty obvious if somebody doesn't stay in their assigned seat, so to speak. And then how are students being handled, player, parents, and guests? Are they allowed? Uh, there's a lot of, you know, different people that get that pieces of the pie during a normal game situation. Sure. Everybody's limited this year. You know, we, we normal here at Doe Campbell students would have about 16,000 seats. This year, they're going to be right at around 4,000. So we'll have about 4,000 students that are going to be in the footprint of what normally 16,000 would seat. And we're, we're eliminating rows. We're putting dots on the seats where we are letting them sit. And, you know, I mean, there's going to be situations where, you know, if a, if a student is coming to the game with a guest, they may feel comfortable sitting together. But you know, we're going to be very vigilant watching how people are seated and, and monitoring what's going on in there because we want them to be safe. And, you know, sometimes students don't take it as serious as we would like them to. So we need to help them with that, make sure that they're, they're doing things the right way. And then it's in terms of everything else, you know, right now the NCAA has a, has a, a moratorium on recruiting on offsite. So we can't have recruits at the game. Um, nobody in the country can. And right now that's through the rest of this month and it may extend after that, out of that, we don't know yet, but so we won't have those, those folks at the game, but we will have, you know, the parents and, and guests of our current players and, but they will also be distanced in a, in a special section in the stadium as well. JD, uh, the, the game experience, obviously concessions, uh, use of the restrooms, those types of things have been mapped out. Uh, give us a little overview for how that'll work. Sure. For, I'll start with the concessions. The biggest thing that people need to know coming into the stadium this year is that cash will not be accepted at concession stands. It is completely um, card-based um, in purchases. We, we're trying to eliminate the number of touching um, scenarios where people have to exchange something. So, Everything's going to be done electronically at concession stands. Um, another 
another thing that, you know, we last year we we piloted at our football games having beer gardens where people could come and, and, and buy a beverage and, and, and stay in there. We're doing it a little bit differently this year. I think people will appreciate this, that it's the beer gardens are no more. Um, we didn't want people to be congregating in numbers. So now when you go to the concession stand, there'll be eight concession stands throughout the stadium where you can go and buy your, your beer or your white claw or whatever it is you do. I, I think Keith, you might know a little bit about the white claw. Uh, <laughs> that, that's a vague memory, a vague memory. Uh, and, and you'll be able to take it to your seat. So um, that'll be a win for the fans. Um, you'll be able to sit in Doe Campbell stadium and enjoy a cool one um, responsibly and watch the game. And then, you know, we're in terms of restrooms and things like that, it's going to be one way traffic in and out in the entrances our facilities team is working really hard on making sure that those rooms are clean, disinfected throughout the game, um, hydrostatic cleaning, all kinds of things to make sure that we're doing things the right way. And, of How course, masks. Plus masks. Going back to the experience, and this is not just FSU, but I think the ACC or maybe it's across college football, but bands, spirit groups, visiting fans – You know, I got the timing sheet that internally those of us involved see, which, you know, tells you when the national anthem is going to be and when the Chiefs are going to take the field. And, um, you know, I looked at halftime and and pregame, and it's pretty blank when you don't see the Chiefs perform or, you know, or how long they have. So it's going to be different that way. It will be. You know, I mean, we're we're fortunate that we're able to keep the marching Chiefs in the stadium. They'll be represented by a smaller number. So – we're going to ask them to be louder than ever um, with the few that they have, but they're going to be doing their pregame show as normal, but from the stands and they'll be doing their halftime show from the stands. Um, the cheerleaders and golden girls will also be up in the stands. They'll be in the North end zone area of the student section, the first five rows um, out there, social distance. So one thing that'll happen this year um, on the field, it'll be as clean and as free of people as you've ever seen. So somewhere in Florida, I think down there near Tampa, Andy Urbanic is probably thrilled um, when he watches the game and he sees how clean the sideline is going to be this year. That's a throwback to um, yesteryear, but it'll be there will be no one down there other than players. Um, one thing the NC or the ACC is doing is they're extending the the coaches and players box that is normally on the field at about the 25, or I guess it's about usually the 35-yard line to 35. They've extended it another uh, 20 feet. So now the coaches and players can be distanced even better on the sidelines. That'll be another thing that you'll see this year. So, um, you know, safety is paramount. That's that's the big thing, you know. I mean, once those players are on the field, they're in a bubble, and, and they won't be around anybody that hasn't been tested thoroughly. Um, so we want to make sure that we keep, keep these guys as, as safe and healthy as possible. Now, one duo that may not be there for the entire game, but they'll certainly be there for pregame hasn't changed at Doak Campbell Stadium, correct? Yeah, that was a big win for us because, we, you know, we sat on these calls a lot of times during the summer and, you know, there was this thing was going towards a, a direction that really made us uncomfortable. The the conference had, had made a decision they weren't going to allow any team mascots or symbols in our case to be on the field for any games. They thought that that was something that, that we could do away with. And, and we, we went back to them and, and we told them that how important it was to us to always start our game with Osceola and Renegade planting the spear. 
and that our, our relationship with the Seminole tribe is important to us. And we needed to have that representation every time we take the field. So the, the ADs voted and unanimously gave us the ability to do that. Um, we're the only school in the conference, to my knowledge, that will be represented by our mascot or symbol. Um, so you won't see some of the other traditions um, at other schools this year, but you will definitely see ours. But as soon as they plant, they'll be they'll take their momentum all the way to the north end zone, get in a trailer, and go back home. JD, I ran into you earlier this week, and and I, and I asked you about the crowd noise because it was announced a couple weeks ago. I think this was ACC, maybe it was college football, but that that schools or institutions could pipe some artificial crowd noise into the stadium to try and add to the uh, atmosphere. And and frankly, we've seen this watching televised professional sports where there's not fans, but they're trying to make it feel like a real game. How is Florida State going to handle that? You know, that was one I feel pretty strongly about. Um, I think that's a good benefit for those who don't have fans. But for us, I don't think we need to go to that to that area and do that. And so we won't be using artificial crowd noise. We're going to use the Garnet Gold faithful that are there cheering us on, all 20,000 of them, um, which will be louder than any piped-in noise that any school can have because every the, they're going to make it mandatory across all schools that the same decibel level has to be played for the offense and the defense, whether you're home or away, at every stadium. So – there is no rising it up, bringing it down for your team and all of that. So, you know, there's no benefit that can be gained from it. But when you have 20,000 loyals in your stands, they can make all the noise that, that we can make, have them make, and, it won't, and it'll definitely impact what happens on the field. Now, J.D., one of the things that I heard, and I've seen a couple of ball games, and they've been uh, one way or the other way, but uh, I'm just curious – the referees, are they going to be in the ACC? Are they going to re- be required to wear masks? And will it be okay if people in the stands consider that appropriate since the ACC officials have robbed Florida State of calls most of their career? Yeah, the, ma- the, the referees will be wearing masks. That is required. And something that if you've watched it on TV um, so far, it's, it's hard to get used to. You can't hear the whistle. All the whistles are electronic. electronic. Yeah, it's to me it sounds like crickets at night when you're sitting on your back porch. It's hard to hear. The players are going to have a hard time hearing it, um, and you'll certainly have a hard time hearing it in the stands and on TV as well. JD, we'll wrap up on this, and I'm sure it's been talked about. I don't know if there's an answer, but for all the concern about things going the wrong way, i.e., if we get a spike, maybe you know, are we really going to play a full season? Are we going to play in two weeks? But what about looking at it half full in terms of if things continue to improve, is there a scenario where more than 25% might be allowed in October, in November, i.e., are you just monitoring as you go, or is this where we're going to be for the full season? You know, I think if you look at just about everything we put out, it's all said we will evaluate as the season goes. And that can work both ways. If fans – do what we need them to do and they take all the safety precautions and, you know, we do the right things when we go home every day or when we go to the store, Um, you know, then I'm hopeful that as the season goes on, maybe there is some positive adjustments we can make on the flip side of that. If we don't do what we're supposed to do and we don't take care of business, we don't wear our masks, we don't 
wash our hands, we don't do the responsible things, it could absolutely go the other way. And, you know, we're, I'm just, you know, just sitting here back in, in March when we had to cancel the basketball tournament and when baseball ended and softball ended, that was absolutely heartbreaking. I don't think anybody ever would have predicted that to happen. But for us to avoid that happening again, we all got to continue to keep our foot on the gas pedal and, and beat this uh, coronavirus and get it out of here. And hopefully um, come spring, we're here with a, with a full stadium for the spring game. J.D., did you have something else, Keith? I was going to wrap them up. I'm good. You're good. All right, J.D., we appreciate uh, all the hard work of you in the athletics department. I know it's been tough times, not just here, all of college athletics, all of the sports world, really, uh, as we've dealt with this. But uh, good luck this weekend. It won't be the same, but uh, it will be memorable. There's no question about that. Thanks, as always. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Jason Dennard, Associate uh, Athletics Director at Florida State. We'll take a break, come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles as we finish things up. A lot of good information today. Good conversation about the depth the depth chart. Well, let's just go back. This is normally what we do, Keith. We clean things up. So uh, you heard Bob's comments on the depth chart and, and, and the questions I raised. Anything else that jumped out at you other than the point you made at the top? O-R. Or. <laughs> no, and I, and I think we will see, uh, and I think it's maybe not scripted, but but certainly the intent of this squad, uh, this coaching staff rather, to play as many people as they can going into the, you know, kind of an unusual off week uh, on the on week two, just so they can get some stuff on tape and either reconfirm what they thought from the scrimmage or the practice tape or to get some kids in there in live situation that maybe haven't had enough reps. Um, I do think one of the comments that Bob made uh, and, and – our listeners know sometimes I take off on a tangent that I, I got to bring it back. And at my age, I forget to do that. But, you know, one of the things my dad told me, uh, and, and I was adopted, my dad came into my life when I was nine years old, first 12 years of my life, I was Keith Robinson. My dad actually adopted me when I was 12 and I became Keith Jones. And so one of the things dad always told me when, when he was dating my mom and they got married is he said, son, I, I, I'm, I'm, not going to be your friend. I'm going to be your father. And he was. And for that six-year period from 12 to 18, he molded and, and, and worked and, and corrected me to form me as a young adult. I took that to heart. My kids will tell you that I was not their friend when they were growing up. I'm their friend now. We have a good time together. Well, the same with this coaching staff. It's not Coach Mike, or it's not Mike told me. It's Coach Norvell. And it's Coach Atkins. And it's Coach Dillingham. Now, they may call Odell because he's been around for so long. They may say Coach Odell. But they're not there to be these players' friends. They're there to work these kids, teach these kids, train these kids, motivate these kids to be great college athletes and to be great college football players. And that's just a philosophical mindset 
that I applaud. Well, it, there were comments this week that uh, we already referenced that uh, were well received uh, along those lines in terms of the best guy's going to play. You know, I'm not here to be your friend and tell you you're still a starter if you're not. Exactly. That's, that, that's the way this goes. All right, then Jason Dennard and I, I am – so to the many changes, and, and, and J.D. talked about the fact that the sideline's going to look a lot different. Uh, one of those differences will be that uh, I'm actually going to watch the game at a decent level for a change. I've been on the sideline. I feel like at some point there should be a little brown splotch of grass from where I've paced that maybe I can just put my initials in and a Sharpie or whatever. But I won't be there this year because there's not sideline reporters uh, uh, on, on the sidelines. And, and I always tell people, and Keith, you know this, Everybody thinks it's cool to be on the sideline, and it's great, but it's a, it's a horrible Worst angle place. to watch a football Worst game. Worst place to watch a football game. Worst place to watch a football game. I mean, that's why you see me standing in the end zone. It's the only place I have an unobstructed view. You can at least see splits, but you still have no feel for if it was an eight-yard catch or a 28-yard catch. Anyway, so that's one of the differences this year. I'll be, I'll be up in the booth watching the game. Um, what, but, but to me, the bigger thing is it just seems uh, – I don't know what the atmosphere is going to feel like. I guess like a spring game that's, that's you know, moderately attended, that sort of thing. But you will have the Chiefs. They're going to do the best they can do with what it is, but it's still going to feel a little hollow. Well, I, and I made the comment to J.D. I'll make it again to our listeners, to, to myself, if you will. We've got to abide by the protocols because if you don't do what you're supposed to do and this thing unravels, then there'll be nobody in the stands. And I set up and I intentionally uh, watched the, the first half of the BYU-Navy game on, on you know, uh, uh, Labor Day night. And there was nobody in the stands. And the sidelines were very sparse. And it was a noticeable difference. Um, and as a result, I think we all need to recognize that we do need to do our part collectively. I remind ourselves, it's like I was trained and like we talked about uh, when we were doing television games, we would see a kid where an opposing player might do something wrong. Let's say he hits him, and therefore the Florida State kid retaliates. Well, they always see the second aspect, the second thing, and they get flagged for a 15-yard penalty. And we would say, how selfish is that? How un-teammate-like is that? You're, you're not hurting yourself. You're not defending yourself. You're not, sh- you're not showing up and proving how – tough you are. You're only hurting the team when you do that. Well, the same thing's going to apply to our fan base now. They've got something that they need to do if they want to continue to be in Dope Campbell Stadium. And I hope everyone, including the students, will take that responsibility for what it is and not be selfish and cost the team 15 yards proverbially. Did I say that right? That's you. Well, you kind of flubbed the last part, but the, the point was solid, though. It was, <laughs> it was well done. I want to take a moment to thank the team behind the team. And uh, there's a lot of folks, but Ron and, and Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, they have been uh, a big, uh, big supporters of our program for a long time. So we thank them for continuing to be involved. I encourage you to, uh, to visit one of their two locations. Uh, seek them out, tell them we sent you their way and, uh, and use them for whatever do-it-yourself project you may have. That's Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Keith, prediction for this week? Florida State's favored, depending on who you look at, between 8 and 11 points. I think FSU wins by 14. I think the defense comes fairly close to pitching a shutout. You know, I think you're looking at somewhere around 24-7, 24-10. And uh, the Mike Norvell era starts not with spectacular 
but real solid football and improvement, and we all walk away happy. Solid would be a formidable step in the right direction. So we'll start there. I agree. Maybe a little more high scoring just in today's day and age. We don't, you know, we're not going to be like you, you 79 Knowles were, where nobody scores in the fourth quarter all year, Keith. This is, this is a different game now. So maybe we Understood. get 31-17 and we take it. And Understood. We, but we don't, don't tell Navy's offense that. They would not want to hear that. Well, you know, <laughs> we don't have time now to talk about it. But when you talk about fundamentals – and it was a, you know, this was not a decision on is it worth having tackling practice or thudding. This has to do with COVID. But still, uh, there's a reason coaches are concerned until you get into a live game about what it's going to look like. And, and, and Navy was exhibit A for that the other night. You know, I, I like the term. We used to talk about one-on-ones. Now we talk about good-on-good. And I think we've just come to understand that you got to have a little good-on-good if you want to be any good when the game comes. Exactly right. We will do this again next week. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy uh, the first weekend of Power 5 football, everybody. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you again next week on Front Row Knowles. We don't need no thoughts control.